Greetings, Path Folk, and welcome to another exciting after party, number 30. Big 3-0. Big 3-0, almost ah. as old as I am now. I'm so old, you guys. Shut up, youngest person in the room. <laughs> Jordan has this weird age obsession. Like, he brings it up every time <laughs> that we talk about an episode number. It's just all in relation to his own age. I'm so old, guys. Um, Weird. For those of us that remember AD&D... Yes. Uh, Screw you. I'm venerable. Today we'll be discussing episodes 88, 89, and 90, and then answering some fan mail. Or as I like to call them, the prelude to our adventure path. Okay. You've gotten through the prelude, now it's time for the actual adventure path. Anyway. This was all just filler to get to this point. Goodness. Uh, So, episode 88 uh, was one where we fought a trio of shadow mastiffs in the maze, and then... Started researching information on everybody's favorite undead creature? We're not really sure what he is yet. Hakatep. Everyone's favorite forgotten pharaoh. The only forgotten pharaoh. Um, Probably not the only one, but everyone's favorite. Yes. Uh, so I'm not familiar with them. What in the heck are shadow mastiffs anyway? Like, I know we, I know they were extra plain. Oh, the shadow mastiffs. Like, are they plain of shadow or whatever? Heather knows from? the shadow mastiffs. I do indeed. You did know what they were. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're extra planar creatures. The Shadow Mastiffs, they've been around for a long time. I've always loved them because they remind me of the classic story of the Hound of the Baskervilles. I think I made a Hound of the Baskervilles. You did, yeah. Whenever, yeah, whenever did. we were doing that. But yeah, they're, they're extra planar dog-like hunters that have horrifying howls and track things down. And uh, they play a uh, minor spoiler alert. They play a role in Council of Thieves where they're, like, big involved in that as far as the shadow creatures that stalk the streets of West Crown. And if I recall correctly, I'm going to my Wayback Machine here, there's a free RPG Day product before the first Pathfinder books, even the core rulebook, came out that was the bonus bestiary. And they were statted out in the bonus bestiary, which was the only place that you'd have additional monsters outside of the bestiary when it actually came out. But it actually predated the release of the core rulebook and the bestiary. So they have been around and been part of Pathfinder for pretty much before its official release. Okay, yeah, because we've never, I've never encountered them. God, so cool. Um, that was one of those Whoa. interesting fights where we just got lucky that we had like the daylight spell just kind of sitting around because You're otherwise welcome. that'd been yeah, that, otherwise that'd been a really hard. Yeah, fight. their shadow blend is uh, in anything that is dimmer than daylight level, bright illumination. So even in the radius effect of a light spell, they still have a fifty percent mischance. They carry the shadows <laughs> with them and cloak themselves in this this veil of shadows. You're welcome for me choosing to play an Azamar. Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> curious how many people get taken out by that because the layout of the Awful. maze itself was yeah. like five foot wide hallways. And so it's pretty much just like it's you versus a Mastiff. And if, you know. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't expecting it to be that bad because I, I remember looking at this and going, okay, well, this is going to be kind of rough for Hollis. And I was like, oh, wait, no, Hollis has improved initiative. She's fine. And then, and then yeah. Jessica rolled. It was way down at the bottom. Well, you being way down there, I was by myself. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I expected some people to beat out the Shadow Mastiff's initiative, but everyone just rolled poorly for initiative, and then you got wedged in this hallway and couldn't move anywhere. Yep. Yep. Yeah, was, that uh, ended up being fight. painful. Um, another thing I thought was kind of interesting is you described the area we were going through as a maze, but then when you drew it out, I was like, this doesn't look that complicated. It's just because it, we were in a snippet of it. If we saw the whole picture, I'm sure it's oh, Oh, was there more to it than what you drew out? Oh, no, that was basically it. That was it? Yeah, no, I thought that, that was the entirety of it. Then. Yeah, it's not. And that's, I think it's I mentioned illusion. it in the episode before that about how when Heather was like, well, can you draw this out? And I'm like, no, because the moment you draw out the maze, it loses all of its mazeness. It loses all of its confusion and me telling it's a right turn and then a left turn. And then there's three right turns on your right. And then you circle back over here and then you realize that that left turn there brings you back to the room where there was a right turn. And it's, it's really convoluted when you put it that way. Also... Eh, not necessarily a spoiler alert. There's a great section that plays as an amazing maze in Crypt of the Everflame. But if you draw it out, is the world's crappiest maze. Yeah. But if you just describe it and don't use a battle mat, it is an amazing maze full of traps and a whole lot of fun. So, another pro tip, don't draw the maze. Yes. That's um, also in this episode, at the very end of it, we found that uh, secret compartment where we found a <laughs> headband of intelligence plus four. Oh, and, oh, so uh, bad. Yeah, and Hollis plopped that right she on her head. She was dumb. That's true. Well, she had a 16 intelligence. 
Yeah. But that's dumb for her. She was an idiot. Oh, let me tell you, that was, that was so that was so funny because it, I literally had, before that, on our treasure, we found the collar from the bone golem and we found a five gold mask and we had found nothing else this entire book. And so we found this thing and I'm like, man, finally we've got some gold. And then you plop that on your head and it's cursed and we're just like... That's what I was thinking was finally something we deserve. I know. <laughs> it turns out to be cursed. <clears throat> it was super sad. You don't deserve it. I was going to say, nobody else was wondering why I was in a broom closet. <laughs> I just figured somebody hid in there because I got scared of something. Well, and... there wasn't a corpse in there. That was <laughs> well, the... and it's also one of those throwback RPG logics. Like, some of the best magic items you can find in the Baldur's Gate computer games are hidden in weird little niches. Yep. Like, you can, and there's like... The a... NKG armor buried in a field yep. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and then, like, in Baldur's Gate 2, there's a stash of gems that, like, some of the most expensive gems in the whole game that are hidden in a toilet. So it's that kind of thing where, oh, we're going to put something really cool in the rubbish closet because nobody's going to check there because it's the closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it is one of those interesting things where it's like, you can see why they kind of kept it in terms of like... The Nethians aren't just supposed to destroy magic. Yeah, they're not supposed to destroy magic, but it's also like, man, what a uh, what a mean move to go and put that just out there where anybody could put it on and become dumber. It's it has to funny. be like the worst curse a Nethian could have is just to be made dumber. It was. <laughs> and the fact that part of the curse is that you don't realize that you're cursed. Only your friends can tell. You yourself make excuses for why yeah. you don't do yeah. things as well as you used to. Also, very good role play on uh, Jessica's part for role playing it all. Trying to be dumb. <laughs> that was really funny, especially because I could tell you were very frustrated she by that. She says dumb, but she was still the smartest person in the party. True. It's very dumb for her. Also, very true. I was like, I had an intelligence in the approximate range of my chicken. So, He's yeah. also a brilliant chicken. <laughs> yeah, and we don't run into cursed items very often. Yeah. I, I can remember a couple of times we've run into cursed items and they've been, I'm always upset that they're cursed, but they sometimes have really fun effects because like cursed items are not usually you put it on and you die. It's like, you know, you put it on and suddenly you feel compelled to like slay all goblins or you put it on and you cannot leave the room or something cool like that. So it just I, seems like Jessica's theme. She got the cursed ring, then she got the cursed uh, headband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing, I, I guess. Don't if, I don't know if Aristide's ring counts as much as cursed as it was, like, possessed, because it did have, like, a spirit in it or whatever. Yeah, but she also couldn't take it off. I guess that's true. It did take up a ring slot, technically. I always like curse items that, that are the item and then plus. Like, the, the headband that makes you stupider is just, it's just a bad item. Yeah. It's an item you do not want, you do not want to put on. However, like, the cursed sort of, sort of berserking, well, this is still a really awesome sword, it then also gets rid of my ability to tell friend from foe. So <laughs> if I really need an awesome person? sword, or if you just need to drop me in this room and then come back for me later when you have this break enchantment or something. But the curse sort of berserker is, berserking is always one that kind of jumps out at me. I think the worst curse item, generally speaking, is the bag of holding, but it just eats the items you put uh-huh. into it. Uh, yeah, eats the loot. <laughs> That's so sad. That's why you buy your bags of holding. You don't pick up the, you don't use the ones that you found in the dungeon because it could be a bag of consuming. Although I feel like beguiling gift plus a cursed item is a pretty effective spell casting thing to do. If you've got one just hanging around, you know. I mean, it is true. If you if you held on to this cursed headband, you could pick up beguiling gift and then force people to put this headband on. <laughs> that's one of Hollis's opposed schools. Oh yeah, that's oh, what yeah, she yeah, doesn't you're, do. You're, you're, it's not enchantment. really her thing. Yeah. Let's grapple the hotcha and shove this on top of her. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that yeah. sounds pretty <laughs> great. I don't know, Heather, what do you think about cursed items and? APs. I prefer just to not mess with them. A lot of times they cause more trouble than anything that they're really worth. I think they're kind of part of the flavor in Osirian, though. Yeah. Mummy's curse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Moving on to episode 89, uh, we continue our exploration of the Dark Depository and its very, very magic-heavy system of moving around, because otherwise you're crawling around like a child. Yeah, that was weird. Which was weird. Uh, we did find uh, what we were looking for, kind of, sort of, in that we did find the Scrolls of Inquiry, uh, learning more about the mask and its creation, as well as having a vision of said interrogation of Nahamra. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Not really liking my ancestor right now, not gonna lie. I know, it's weird, right? Because, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I, I still think that the mask is riddling us, like Tom Riddle, you know, <laughs> Chamber of Secrets, and showing us only the things that make it look good. That like, did not make the mask look good. I mean, it didn't make the mask look good, but it made Nahamra look like the bad guy. I don't know, he was I sassy, know. I loved him. I don't know. 
I was gonna say I don't know if it got across in the episode, but Jessica was like so happy with this guy being like sassy. It's like, well, yes, of course, I ripped his soul to pieces because I needed to question it. Why is this stupid Inquisitor talking to me? He was so good. He was so sassy. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's again. I still don't know if it's because he was like a zealot, and he's just like, I'm gonna do what my pharaoh said, and you know what? I have the ability to rip this guy's soul apart, so I'm just gonna do it. I think that's pretty much what yeah. it was. Like, he's a high crazy. priest of Nethus. Magic is what they do to use everything. Oh, conventional magic's not gonna work. What can I do to make this work? Oh, well, if I rip his soul apart, it'll be easier to use the magics we would normally use to get the information. Logic. Yeah, which I guess is also a little bit then on the pharaoh for being like. Hey, I want to know about these these uh, you See, know, flying pyramids. So I don't know. Yeah, but he didn't tell him rip the guy's soul apart. He's yeah. find the information. That was Nahamra's choice. Yeah. So it's, yeah, but then unless he, he said cover it up, <laughs> use any means at your disposal. And that was the implication well, that Nahamra yeah. had, yeah. even if he didn't say it. He was given carte blanche. So <laughs> that's what happens when you do poorly worded orders slash wishes unintended consequences. Nahamra is a genie. Well, I mean, I'm just other things were poorly worded, wording things will work in your against you. Maybe Citra is one, I don't know, 132nd gen. <laughs> nice. It's like so far down there, it doesn't show up on your character sheet. Or it could be one of those things where he did what he needed to do and left it open so that the pharaoh could be like, well, I didn't sanction oh, that. to protect the pharaoh. Yeah. He specifically mentions that. Yeah. Yeah. He said, let the record show that he didn't order me. Yeah. Yeah. So he was so, so loyal to his boy. So maybe plausible deniability also on the part of the Pharaoh. Who knows? And the Pharaoh showed him mercy because of it. So yeah. Yeah. Just killed everyone else. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. Still did not. Yeah. Did not figure out how your family got cursed though. Yeah. So that's didn't still didn't learn pending. that. I still don't really like my ancestor. Like the character itself. Yes, was very sassy and amusing. But Citra being pretty good person, she's just like that's awful. Oh yeah, Citra yeah. being Citra. Yeah, Citra is just not happy with this information. She is yeah. Hollis is like, like that's the kind of Nethus priest I know. What the rip your soul in three no, parts? No, the like who is the idiot talking to me? I use magic, duh. Yeah, that feels familiar. Yeah, <laughs> it's on brand for for the Church of Nethus. Yeah, so unfortunately didn't get... It's always one of those things where we're getting a little bit more information. It just leaves me with more questions. Yeah, princesses in another castle. And then, yeah, we got library. princesses in another castle as there's yet another library. I'm so tired of that. Yeah. This has got to be the last one, right? I, I mean, unless so. there's this secret library that's even more secret than the Hatia doesn't even know where it is. And you find I the mean, secret door inside of the secret library that leads to the super secret library. Oh, and Nethus himself is sitting. He's in there. He's like, hey, you found me. Here's some power. You just <laughs> open up the doors, just Nethus, like, with his feet propped up in a smoking jacket with a pipe. <laughs> just Mass Mickelson, so there you go. Uh, something else that we, I think we got lucky because we had divined it, was we skipped a trap. Um, oh yeah, Horus was, was our the boy. The summoning trap or something like that? Yeah, because yeah, the way Horus told us to go, we went around that. So how bad would that have been if we tripped it? I mean, it's we would have tripped it, like, 100%. An inevitable would have been bad. Well, how bad, are, well, how bad of an inevitable? Because there are a whole, the, like, race of things. The trap would trigger and summon a Zillic Hut inevitable. They're the cool ones that kind of look like centaurs, but they also have wings. Oh, what? Um, they're the like the bounty hunter devils. They're like a challenge rating of nine. Ooh. Oh, okay. Um, so that would have been a rough fight. Yeah, yeah they're in a tiny little hallway. Yeah, yes. that'd have been a problem. Where we were crawling. They have like mark of justice and like hold monster, all sorts of cool abilities. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. They have a uh, their arms end in like whip like chains, like barbed chains that they then attack people with and. Uh, and kill them. They're kind of, I've always found them a really interesting one because their whole thing is enforcing laws and laws and customs of a land. Hmm. But in a strange way that they bring up the fact that they are 100% neutral. And so as they, they describe in the whole, in their thing is the, uh, yeah, ironically, they're implacable and unrelenting in their duty. They have little interest in passing judgment of their own, a fact that often confuses other races. Uh, rather, they're content to enforce the laws of any given society. And while it may hunt a condemned serial killer, a notorious thief across half a dozen plains, it will not shift a single hoof to capture a corrupt ruler whose offenses are ten times worse, so long as the atrocities are within the technical rights as ruler. Um, they all understand that the laws can and must differ from place to place and it is not the creature's job to moralize merely to track down those who seek to flee their punishment. Question for you then, do they then inherently know what is lawful in a land? Like, I think how do you there's something that? close to that. I'm wanting yeah. to say that... Like, they have the equivalent of bardic knowledge, but, like, just knowing what the local laws are everywhere. Law lore. Because, like, some places slavery is legal. Some places it's not. Yeah, I'm sure it's something akin to that. As one of the coolest things, they have a regeneration that can only be sought by chaotic weapons. Ha! <laughs> <Nice>. oh, <laughs> Israel would have been great. That would have been just great for us. 
So, no, they're, they're pretty fun. And constant true saying, but I think a lot of inevitables get constant true saying. Fancy. No hiding from the law. But it would have been a, it would have been a rough fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so thanks, Horus, for getting us out of that one. They also have a DR that can only be overcome by chaotic weapons. Gracious. Yeah, it's been <laughs> a rough fight for us. Glad we avoided it. Fun times. Moving on to episode 90, uh, where we ran into a Zaz at the end of episode 89. Aw, poor boy. Told us Kelru's been taken. Uh, we learned more about the circumstances of his disappearance, confiding in Mamanafra about our quest. Yeah, we confided a lot in Mamanafra. Yeah, we didn't tell a lot about that. And we also we talked to... just confirmed what she already kind of knew. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't read know? her, so I don't really know how she much she didn't realize that you we had there. If you didn't like what we were saying, you could have said something. Citra does not have the charisma to step in, but what was she going to say? If I interrupted, then Mamanafra would be even more suspicious. Yeah, I mean, the only thing we really didn't want to tell her is that we had the artifact, and she figured that out on her face. I was going to say, oh, she, yeah, she actually had a really good insight to figure yeah. out, no... No, that pretty thing that Onuris has been wearing, that's clearly it. Because you can't bluff her, because mm-hmm. she's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. crazy I don't good. Know. I well, just, I really don't trust Mom and Afra. I do. I trust her way more than anyone else I'm definitely else in saving the city. a question about what her, what her, like, class and archetype and everything are. Know, we're done. For when we're done with her. I'm I will, super curious. I will say it's also, I don't think it gets brought up enough that Onuris is wearing a headdress made of pure gold uh-huh. that is striped gold and lapis lazuli that flows like cloth. Yep. It's a magical It AF. is a very magical looking thing. Yeah, it's also clearly pharaonic in design. Like. And of course, any of these followers of Nethys just look over there and they're like, I'm oh, just a little curious, whisper off and detect magic. It's like, no, it doesn't show up magical, which is obviously a lie. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I was going to say, there's no really hiding the fact that it's literal golden gemstones that yeah, flow like water. The so, only yeah. way to really keep it hidden is to wear it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's one of those things like, I wonder, could you have worn, like, like could you wear another layer over it just to hide the fact that you're wearing it? Like, yeah, I mean, it'd be disguised. Check, but yeah, yeah. Well, which I have none of. Yeah, we, so. none of us do. So we get some paint, <laughs> paint, and we paint Delta it brown. Uh, okay, with, do you think the artifact would actually take paint? Because I'm just imagining it just like a self. This is like Teflon. It just yeah, just like it just rolls right off. You can paint gold. These things never seem to ever be dirty and stuff. So like, aren't artifacts like immune to all dirt and rust and all that other stuff? So it's not dirt. I don't know. No, they're just, they're not immune to dirt or rust. They're immune to any form of damage. Yeah, well, isn't rust? I guess rust isn't really. I mean, damage. rust would be probably considered a damage. Yeah. But besides, uh, gold is an unfairest material, so it never rusts. Yeah. No, oh, no, I'm not saying that gold. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we told Mom and Offer either figured out and or we told her everything about what we're up to, and she was like, "Here, have a signet ring." And also, yeah, the hot is definitely up to something. She's involved with the cult. It seems not like- everything. Hollis did not say that she knew those Nephis people that left. Oh that's yeah, true. that's true. You didn't. You didn't. Hollis kept her secrets. Yeah. I just didn't talk. <laughs> Uh, also talked to uh, Falto about his father's expedition, the relationship between that and Sudi's family's death. Falto knows a lot of stuff. At least he'd already kind of come to the grips with his dad probably being dead. Yeah, I mean, because most likely that's the case. I mean, actually, as far as we know, it's 100% the case. Yeah. Well, and Falto, I think it's been established a little bit that Falto, you know, had a, had a very high opinion of his father. Yeah. And as such, Falto would be under the impression that the only reason that his father would not have returned is if he died. Yeah, so it's actually better if so he's, he's been, been dead. The that's whole kind time. of been his whole thing this whole time, that he's down here looking into his father's expedition, but I don't think he was ever expecting to find his father alive. But he wants to know why he died. Fair enough. Mm. Yep. Possibly because Pathfinders can't leave well enough alone. Who knows? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, the very definition of curiosity killed the cat. And then we sent Azaz off with Falto, which was folk. funny. Uh, yeah, which ends weirdly with Azaz and Falto going off to the docks to check out something. I feel like we've just set up the best buddy cop thing. Oh. <laughs> they're going to hate each other, and they're going to come back at the end of the day after an adventure and be best friends. I want the fan fiction of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this 100% matches up, but you basically have the kind of ditzy but still good-hearted guy teaming up with like the... The sassy, snarky, kind of you know, mean-spirited one. You basically just have Joey and Chandler <laughs> <laughs> doing their own side quest. Uh, nice. Zaz just walks back. It's like, could you Aww. be any slower? <laughs> he is Joey. I love him even more. <laughs> Joey, but he looks like uh, Chris Joey, Evans. but Chris Evans. He's yeah. like, well, smarter he's, than Joey. He's the guy from doing? the Losers. That's what yeah. we established. He's smaller. He's yep. smarter than Joey. Yeah. Oh anyway. man. Uh, uh, the interesting thing also was. That we had uh, our first instance of scrying. Uh, yeah, and I dispelled it. Path. 
Yes, yeah. dispelled some scrying. I've never seen that happen before. What, did you dispel scrying? Dispelling I don't think we've scrying. ever had seen invisibility where we're being scried upon to where we could see yeah, what see it was. You see sensors, it. and you're like, no, you. It yeah. is one of those things, well, though, that, like, it's always interesting because sometimes it's like you get to the, the final boss fight in a book or whatever, and it's like, I've been studying you, and I know every one of your secrets. And it's like, how? We never rolled to see if we were being scried on. So, I don't know if, like, scrying is, is either just not that common or if it's one of those, like... Time-consuming. It is time-consuming, but it's also one of those things that's, like, if you have this, like, four-man army that's basically cutting through your troops and coming after you, like, wouldn't you scry on them? Well, yeah, but we've been scryed on before. That's not unusual. Eh. And not in this game, but... Yeah, not in this game, and it's not that common, actually. I'm trying to think back, like, how many adventure paths we've really actually run into. It. It's not that many. There are a lot of adventure paths that it doesn't necessarily crop up a lot in. Greater scrying is worth it because greater scrying is like an hour per caster level or something. You can watch a party for a long time. With scrying, the bad guys kind of have to... Time it right. Yeah, I mean, in this case, they seem to have lucked out pretty well because you can't just go, okay, they're walking into that room. Let me scry them real quick because it's an hour long casting time. But then it only gives you a minute per level that you see them. So you just have to hope you luck out and see them in combat or I've actually always liked the adventure paths where they say that, that the enemies are gaining information against the party, but then instead use means other than scrying. Yeah. Just like contacting it. other plane. Yeah. They uh, divine. One, of my, one of my favorites is, and I think I've only ever seen this crop up in one adventure path before where you're fighting powerful divine casters. And it's just like, Oh, and by the way, if the party retreats, they speak with dead. Oh. And it's like, what spells did you see them use against you? Yeah. It's like, how many were there? What type of weapons were they using? And it's like, God, that is so great. And on top of that, it means that the party can't then later speak with dead because there's a one week time period between oh, speaking yeah. with dead. So they can't question the bodies for their own things. Yeah. I'm like, God, that is so, so great. Yeah. So I, thought, I think that's kind of interesting because like scrying is it's almost too easy. Yeah, I know it's only like 10 minutes per casting time, but like I decided that they've gotten, you know, everything off of you guys because they're just like really lucky. So it's it's too easy of a cop out. He's just cast scrying you like one time and he knows everything about you. I don't know. I like it more organically personally. I would also love to have an occasion where the main villain is, uh, especially in Pathfinder 2 now, the main villain's an investigator, kind of like a Moriarty figure. <laughs> uh, and he just learns from you as well, you're yeah, fighting Well, yeah, he just him. waits until the party leaves and he comes back and like takes the case and investigates the rooms. Like, obviously, these are the blessed marks of a scorching or uh, burning hands and this mark the splat blood splatter could only be made by at least a plus three longsword <laughs> <laughs> that would be learns everything about the party and then leave oh, i've got a total villain idea now <laughs> yeah no that'd be that'd be really interesting i will say though that uh detecting scrying is is surprisingly easy because it's just a perception roll to get the hint that you're being yeah watched. That you, that you got uh, that. and it's only a dc 20 plus the level of the spell Oh, okay. So, so it's not and that it's, bad at this level. Well, and it's the spells level, not the caster level. Yeah, so which, it's four. So it's it's yeah. a DC twenty four or DC twenty six for greater scrying. Yeah. So at this level, it's not that bad. Yeah, makes pretty doable for a character with perception as a class skill. It's doable at first level that you might roll well enough to notice that you're being scried. Yeah. It does help though if you have something like uh, on yours is immunity to divination. Yeah. Rings yeah, of non detection. Yeah. There is also an interesting, like, in this episode, it was kind of interesting, because we did, we tried really not to, but we pretty much did confide in Mamanafra, and it's interesting how we did that versus how we acted with, um, the guy who helped us with the research. Kalu? Oh, no. Kabek. Kabek. Yeah, Kabek was in any kind of position to help us, though. The only reason we gave anything to Mamanafra is because we needed our help to find Kelru. Is it just because she had something that we wanted that we confide in her? Like, it's always interesting because, like, sometimes we're really guarded and sometimes we're really not. Guarded? We brought a total stranger with us into a library. Well, we tried and then to research tell. stuff. And he was uh, there. Yeah. And then forgot he was there. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> So I don't know. It's just like, at what point is it like, you know what? We've been we've, we've been on enough missions with you or for you or whatever. That's like, it's time to bring you into the fold. And it also like, depends on what goals and things we have. Kavak can't give us anything that's worth giving up that information for. It's funny taking it further back as I remember when Tetmanib was first introduced. Rachel was crazy paranoid about Tetmanib. She was convinced yeah. that it's like, how does he know this stuff? Why is he following us? Why is he trying to involve himself? Rachel's always stuff? paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> Like a smart person should be. Little did you know, you were being invisibly followed the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I was right to be paranoid, wasn't I? It was helpful. Invis- good. Yeah. yeah, it turned out good in that case. Sorry, still don't trust Mom and Afra. I don't think of- you have to trust her. I think 
at this point, she gave us exactly what we needed, and the Hachi is probably up to no good, so there really wasn't another option that our lawful friends would go for. I don't know. I just... Citra is going to remain paranoid because... I mean, we're sleeping in her house, and we didn't even post guard. Yeah, we did. I thought we did. Nope. Uh, Nope. 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 I haven't done that. (laughs) Citra did. I was going to say, Citra and Falto, like, booby-trapped the crap out of their room. I don't know what y'all are talking about. We don't, I don't sleep in your room. I had a Zaz in my room. Falto set up a tripwire crossbow trap or something. Yeah. <laughs> so the poor servant who comes in to get y'all's laundry gets, gets murdered. Shot in the night. Well, we disable it before we leave. Well, no, you know how they came in, they woke up, uh, up in, the, in the morning, and they, like, you know, drew us a bath and, like, brought yeah. in the clean They're in your room while like, you're asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, There's we'll just forewarn them, be like, you got to step here, here, and here if Do you not disturb sign. Yeah, probably more that. And on the back of the sign is a construction capacity. There's times to be paranoid, and then there's times where you have to give up the information or you're just stalled. Yeah. And it's one of those mom and offer has the authority to give us the what we need to do to save Kelru. And at that point, that's more important to Onuris than. She was also surprisingly well informed because she yeah. already knew that Sebti was taking the mask. Because she's the pharaoh. Yes. No, Sebti said she was going to make it obvious that she was taking it yeah. so yeah, that we, they would draw the attention well, away. Yeah, but I didn't and we've done that... nothing to stay conspicuous the entire time we've been in this city. Well, uh, they should ask for a different party if they wanted that. But it, no, it's one of those things like I didn't realize she took out an advert that said, traveling to Sothis, the, you know, well, Mamanoffer knows everything. Well, and Mamanoffer is the right hand of the pharaoh as far as his diplomacy and all that stuff is concerned. He's going to tell her her, anything that might be pertinent going on. Watch, he's across the river. She also yeah. seemed to know that things had gone shifty down here. So, like, they'd been watching the sister cities. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But it's and all- the uh, the Hacha of Wati contacted the pharaoh and uh-huh. said that the situation yeah. had been resolved and that Septi would be taking to him yeah. the, the item responsible Oh, so he just sent a message to her. I miss yeah. that Hacha. He was so dumb. Yeah, he was, he was pretty dense. He was just the pretty face that was elected based on his kissing yeah. baby skills, yeah. not anything else. With Mama, Mama Noffer's position with the Pharaoh, it's not surprising that she knows everything. And she's a bard on top of that. Yeah. Bluff, gather, you know, perception, you know, diplomacy, that kind of stuff is all in her wheelhouse. It's yeah. just one of those interesting things where, like, it doesn't seem like she goes and, like, you know how we go out and we gather information she, about, she like, doesn't. walking around She the has town. all these parties with these nobles sitting around talking about all the town gossip around her all the time. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But how much do those nobles go into the town and hear what the people on the docks are saying? That's what their servants talk about in the hallways at the house. Trust me. And they probably have their own spy masters. Yeah, spy exactly. She doesn't, she doesn't have to go out on the town because the nobles bring all the information to her. She's like a spider sitting in the center of her web. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I think we were trying to avoid her knowing is that we had the mask and... Whoops. She figured that out right away. We didn't right tell away. her that. She yeah. just... I tried the I know on yours doesn't have a bluff so I tried the angle of we're researching the object was isn't a lie but it's also omitting information it's a lie by omission and so and she already knew the item was a mask yeah I guess it's also like she must have gotten a description of it because it's the mask and the headdress it's not just a mask well it's a funerary mask and almost all of Syriani funerary masks are gonna have the headdress and the headdress is real fancy yeah Yeah, the thing that on yours is wearing the focus of her affections is wearing this extraordinarily obviously magical looking super expensive item yeah. despite the fact that he's then hitting her up for money money for enough money to pick up 30 or 3000 gold worth of scrolls obviously this must be something so important that he's not willing to sell off this headdress to bring back his party <laughs> fair point yeah that's fair and of course really the Hatia, <laughs> on the other hand, probably knows all the exact same information being in the Church of Nethus, and now we know probably hanging around with the Cult of the Forgotten Pharaoh. So I think we definitely went the right way with Wamanofra and not the frickin' church. I want to ask about it, but we have to finish this book. Yeah, first. once we finish yeah. this book, definitely what happens if we back the Hatia? Uh, like, it's going to be some interesting stuff. Yeah, it'll be very interesting, especially if she is part of the cult. It's like, hmm, she leads us on a merry chase. Moving along to... Emails. Emails. From all you lovely path folk out there. Emails. Our first email today comes to us from Shane from Magnavar. Hey, Shane. Shane writes, hello, find the pathers. Hi, Shane. Sounds like it's been a course. <laughs> uh, first off, thank you for continuing to put on a masterclass each week in immersive storytelling and truly cooperative gaming. Masterclass. Uh, thank oh, you. thanks. Thank you. Didn't realize we were at masterclass level yet. We've I need to upgrade up. the business cards. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I was hoping to get some of your thoughts on shopping for magic items. As a GM, once my players have accumulated a significant amount of gold, they scour the far reaches of the archives of Nethys to create a shopping list, and I struggle to find a balance between allowing what makes sense in the current game versus giving 
giving them the agency to build their characters as they had imagined. So Gold first question limit. for Rick. Do you limit the magic items available for purchase either by quantity due to the size of the town or by variety due to the geographical region the PCs are in? I mean, first off, I put a gold limit on each town so that there is there is a price point limit for what they can find that they have available. I stick pretty strictly to the caster level limit for the town, especially if they're getting something upgraded because they would need to be a spellcaster in town powerful enough to cast the spells to upgrade the equipment. As far as like regionally is concerned, not really. I know it's the whole thing that like Onuris and Citra are both trotting around with a whole ton of mithril all over themselves and there probably aren't any mithril mines anywhere in Wati and Wati's kind of off the beaten path as far as like major trade locations but I'm usually not going to sweat it that much. I find it interesting that second edition is doing the common uncommon yeah, options system. which I think will probably specify it a little bit better but as long as it makes sense I don't think anyone at my table is going to walk up to me and say oh by the way can I get a katana just because I think having a katana would be cool. Can I find oh, yeah. someone yeah. here that can forge yeah. a katana for me? And like, don't get me wrong, I love the Highlander as much as anyone else, but pretty <laughs> much everyone here went, I'm using Kopesh's or Kukri's because that's what I'm going to find in this place. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so yeah. far between Natron's Fang and the various Kukri's you found, I don't think anyone's disappointed with those choices. Yeah. No. That does dovetail into his second question is, is, for the players, how do you balance your purchasing between what makes sense for your PC's personal growth versus what makes sense mechanically? I've been playing this game so long that I have my laundry list of crap I need to keep my my character alive. The big six. You yep. need your good armor, you need your good weapon, natural uh, ring of protection, amulet of natural armor, cloak of resistance, and what's the other? Stat boosting. And then st your stat boosting item. Yep. I'm not going to go looking for anything outside of those until I feel like my character is set on saves and stats and skills to survive. I'm always going to upgrade my armor class before I spend money on a, oh, that's kind of a cool, like, item, but... Catfall boots. Yeah, or something. God, the catfall boots. I mean, it's just one of those, if, it, if it's not working to keeping my character alive, especially at early levels then I don't need it. I need that gold to boost my armor class. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's like the kind of boring answer, but I've been playing this game for a long time and I like my characters. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually buy the things that won't get me killed, but then I spend any leftover gold on cool things that make sense. And um, I'll keep stuff if we find interesting stuff. Like I think Skira kept like a cat head and like a couple of other things to like make you into stuff. Yeah, you like you like trinkets. And like so, I'll keep trinkets. And uh, I think I had a druid that had a, a wasp's nest that was like made of paper that you could throw at people. <laughs> um, so like if we run across anything really interesting, I'll just keep it. I think Hollis is a good example that Jessica does not keep gold pieces on her character. I like to live by YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> you could die at any moment, spend all your gold. <laughs> but maybe not, like, keep, like, 50 gold. Yeah. If you learn your nothing from Hollis, keep Money 50 roll. gold. Don't just buy a bunch of chicken feed because you want to make sure that your chicken doesn't die or whatever. Your chicken not dying is kind of important, but... Uh, yeah. Things probably scrounge around for things. I'm definitely on the AC camp. Um, I tend to favor high AC over high attack, so I will always upgrade my AC items first before I upgrade like my my sword or whatever. Yeah, AC. As we get to higher levels and you just start having like sixteen thousand gold for my next upgrade, and then I'm like, ah, I've only got like four thousand. I get more likely to grab kind of fun items. So like I've sometimes finished. Uh, we finished uh, an adventure path. I had an elemental gem. I just found it and was like, huh, this is kind of cool. Just had one. That's a fun novelty item. It would be an, an oh no, I need, we need some backup kind of an item. So I've also got a couple of like contingency items like that occasionally that I've picked up, but those are usually again in trying to keep me alive. I like figurines of wondrous power when I can Oh, I love them. figurines cool. of wondrous power, yeah. I'm probably in the same boat where I usually make sure that my armor class is in a good spot, but I'm also kind of on the Jessica train where occasionally like I'll just have random items. Like I think one of my characters I made it canon that she really needed glasses, oh, yeah. so I bought some glasses that upped her I think it was, it was the goggles of minute seeing or something like that so that her perception was up and so then it just became part of the game that her vision was just really bad yeah so I mean stuff like that because I think that builds your character so yes make sure you have the things that are going to keep your character alive but don't be afraid to buy a few goof items to have fun with and definitely don't be afraid to keep the items made specifically for the adventure path you never yeah. know the Senate board that you have yeah. that's yeah. coming yeah. in yeah. a couple of times that. or the fact that you got that magical coal that if you've been able to identify as a Medusa beforehand would have been a huge boost against that Medusa. Yeah. <laughs> 
And if you're like, well, we think we're going to fight another Medusa again, or I think uh, Falto mentioned something about like a desert place full of statue people mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, I wonder some, what's in there. We yeah. might need some magical coal again. It's definitely Medusa. Yeah, it's also sometimes I feel like items you find are a hint. Yes. They Sometimes, are. yes, they're most yeah. definitely. I like, mean, Natron Fang, for, exa- for example, yeah. is, a, is a prime <laughs> example of that. Yeah, there is definitely times where it's like, yeah, you better remember that you have this when you go fight X creature or else it's going to be a hard be fight. be mummies and mummies mask. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Who knew? Uh, so Shane signs off. Thanks again for everything. Yeah, well, you're welcome. welcome, Shane. Yes, and thanks for writing in, Shane. Our next email comes from Courtney. Uh, he, him, Courtney. So, male Courtney. Okay. Uh, from, thanks for specifying that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, by the way, yeah. thanks for that. We run into yes. that problem sometimes, especially if it's uh, outside of the U.S. and we're not as familiar with some names. Where uh, like, also, as somebody who has a unisex name, I get misgendered fairly regularly by, like, telemarketers and stuff. So, like, appreciated. That's fair. So, Courtney is from Arkansas, USA. Where is Arkansas? Um, uh, it's in the south. It's next no. to Texas. <laughs> Okay, let me finish my thought there then. Where have been Arkansas to Texarkana? <laughs> uh, I have been through Texarkana, actually. It's a beautiful place. Uh, if you're curious, people who are, are like, what is Texarkana? It is a city that straddles Texas and Arkansas, so it is Texarkana. Yeah. It is half Texas, half Arkansas. It's kind of on the way... Arkansas. Usually I would go that way if you're going out to, like, Shreveport. Yeah, you go out there to, like, Shreveport, or, like, I took it when I would drive to Nashville to, like, see my yeah. mom, yeah. so. Just random thought, because I used to vacation in Arkansas a lot when I was a kid. It is actually a really beautiful state to go. There's lots of, <laughs> there's surprisingly lots of mountains and, like, trees yeah. and stuff, like, big old huge hills and forests mm-hmm. and things like that. The hot springs are amazing, and there's really cool cave systems you can go mm-hmm. uh, walk in. I've heard about the hot springs. Yeah. I've never been. It's really cool. Uh, so, anyway, we apparently know things about Arkansas. I Go us. Like um, what is like a nice forested... And there's lots of water and stuff there too. Like, like not just the hot You know what it, what it makes yeah. me think of is it makes me think of like the area around where Hook, Hook Mountain Massacre takes place. Where is that? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Turtleback Central, Ferry. Turtleback Turtle Ferry. ferry and, oh, man. Turtleback Ferry. So it's a nice place. It's, it's There's some reconstruction down, going on there but... since the adventurers came through. Yeah, but, but there's like a nice <laughs> town there. It's got some water, lots of mountains. Courtney can be from Turtleback Ferry. You can, yep. uh, you can have your own giant turtle shell that you make a little boat. Cute. All right. So anyway, Courtney writes, Hey guys, I love the show and can't wait to hear more. This is my first time writing in, but I'm fully caught up on the Mummy's Mask campaign. Awesome. Yes, Yay. thanks. Uh, let me start by saying Falto's my favorite character. Yeah. I want to see a side adventure or story with just Falto alone or with another group. Like a backflash, maybe. That'd be kind of <laughs> cool. Like, uh, put him with his, his seedy little group from Watsi. <laughs> Oh, uh, what was he doing while we he was... Breakers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Crypt Breakers. Or Falto yeah. up on the walls with Hollis battling off against the Takeda. Oh, or, man, that'd oh, be that'd fun be times. Cool. Or all of you have to head off one time, and it's just, like, Falto on Hurt and Sugar, like, playing cards in an in-room, <laughs> and Falto, like, telling them the stories well, about things. Now we've established we got a buddy cop thing <laughs> yeah, going on. Him and his ass. Falto and his ass. Falto is ass. You, uh, maybe if you can save Kelru, Kelru can team back up there. <laughs> they can reform the, uh, the Scorched Hand. Yeah, Falto doesn't yeah. fall in with the Nethys, Nethys thing, though. Yeah, he fills the Adori role of the muscle, you know? Yeah. True. <laughs> so, Courtney asks, uh, As for my question, I'm primarily a D&D player, so my knowledge of Pathfinder isn't very in-depth, but I was looking over the Pathfinder Monk recently and noticed that it has the stunning fist ability at first level. Mm-hmm. I don't think Sudi's ever used this ability before. <laughs> Am I misremembering this, or has Jordan not used this ability before? If so, why not? You, use it you have. Yeah, you tried um, to use it against the Scorched Hand, I think. So, yeah. here's here's a fun fact for you. Most undead, and I think actually all undead, are immune to stunned. All undead. So all the constructs. constructs. All constructs. Um, ev- pretty much everything we fought is immune to that effect, so I've only used that against people. We've only fought, like, maybe two people this entire time. We fought Velriana's group, and we fought Nebdekufri. And that's no, it. Uh, but cultists? the cultists, you used it against oh, I also them. Used it yeah, the cultists, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've used it a couple times. It's just we don't fight a lot of stuff that Sudi can actually use that on. Yeah, which is sad because I love that ability. Yeah, so this isn't one of the abilities that Jordan routinely forgets. This is one of the ones he remembers but can't use often. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I, I love the Stunning Fist ability for a monk. Yeah. You Especially love, if I'm going non-lethal because it's like I just discombobulate them. You, know? you should love your reroll abilities, but you just forget <laughs> that. Much more useful abilities, I forget. <laughs> the ones that I can't use... And thus are not useful are the ones I remember everywhere. So yeah, no, that's the uh, that's the story of Stunning Fist and why you probably will only see it a half dozen times in this entire adventure path. <laughs> hey, we're about to fight some more cultists probably, so... Oh, yeah. My time to shine. Finally. 
Yeah, but thanks for giving us a listen, even though uh, not a Pathfinder player. So. Yes. Uh, so thanks, Courtney, uh, for writing in. Yeah. And uh, thanks for asking a question about me. I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> special stone, special boy. Okay. I need that on a shirt now. That's funny. All right. Next up, our third email comes from Andy from Corumbura, Australia. Uh, Wait, but wait. He says, FYI, were a hilly area considered to be the food bowl of Victoria, should that help in picking a location in game? I thought we already established Australia with Sarasan. Plaguestone. Plaguestone. Turnips. (laughs) Okay. It's a food bowl. I think that means that there's more than, it's like the Austin of Victoria, Australia. Not like, you know, there's only turnips to eat here. Turnips. Secondly, (laughs) Plaguestone is offensive. It's Etrin's Folly. Etrin's Folly. (laughs) Turnips. Oh, why, why not? I mean, Real it seems like Etrin's a nice Folly. enough place. So Etrin's Folly, uh, if you're if you're interested in finding out more about it, Andy, uh, check out Jason Bowman's Fall of Plaguestone adventure for second edition. little plug there for good old uh, JB. You know, Did you just call him JB? Yes, our, our old buddy. JB. We call him JB. God, and I hope he doesn't listen I to I don't this. think he listen. needs us to plug him. If anything, it's the <laughs> other way around. You, you know what? Us, please. He's on that, that rarely watched Knights of Everflame. <laughs> <laughs> that no one's ever heard of. No, definitely. Uh, so Andy writes, Good day, doorkeepers. And I just cannot say that without doing a little bit of an Australian <laughs> accent. I love good day. Good day, Andy. Yeah. Good day. Good day. Uh, actually, sorry, he said good day, future doorkeepers. I say future as I am very late to the party. <laughs> I've only been listening for the last week and a half as of writing this. Wow, you've been a binge long listening, time. and your playstyle and theatrics have got me wanting more. Awesome. Aw, thank you. Thanks en- a lot. Enjoy the ride. Yes, enjoy from the hearing future, this. Hello. Enjoy yes. hearing this a month after you've listened. Um, or more. We've <laughs> got a lot of episodes now. Uh, so I managed to get to episode 43 and I'm really hoping Sudi can stop booping things on the snoot and start whacking them more often. (laughs) (laughs) Claws retracted, of course. Good news. I've gotten slightly better. (laughs) I think. Depends on my on my day. The pummeling style helps. Yeah, the pummeling style definitely helps. I can get big now also. And four attacks per round. Yes. Uh, I must say I'm a little worried as I did just see a character named Hollis, but not Sagira in the synopsis for episode 81. (laughs) Sad face spoilers. Well, don't look at the... Don't let the episode stuff. Pro We're tip, free. guys, don't read the show notes for episodes you haven't seen yet, um, especially if it's like 40 episodes ahead of hey, where you are. If it's anything like mine, whenever uh, my RSS feed updates, it updates and shows me the entire episode description. Oh. On my alerts and... uh, Oh, mine mine just says a new episode has dropped. Yeah. If it's only one, it just shows me the... Okay. By the time you listen to this, you'll know what happened. It's true. Yeah. It's not as sad as you're probably anticipating, Andy, so... Yeah, although it might be. (laughs) Andy continues... I'm a very new initiate to tabletop play, having only just been dragged to a mini-game of Pathfinder 2nd Edition at PAX Australia. Oh, uh, to be honest, the only reason I went was that my bestie brought us three-day bought us three-day passes to the event, and I figured I should at least give it a try. And, uh, well, four uh, two-hour sessions later, I am hooked. Hey! <laughs> Welcome. That's how they get you. Welcome. They get so, you with the free sample. So thanks to your friend, man. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, props to your buddy, bringing more people to the fold. Uh, Absolutely. So, I've found a localish society that's just starting up running 2nd edition in Starfinder and will be heading in for my first proper game uh, December 8th. So, question. I'm currently trying to build my first character, a fighter, and was wondering if you guys and gals remember your first characters you built slash played with, 1st edition or 2nd edition. 2nd uh, edition, yes, because we're still playing with our first characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where that's going in terms of like how we can help. I think well, it's just a question. My very first character for Pathfinder was out of the beta test book and was a dual-class ranger wizard. And they had this really flippin' awesome feat in the beta test where it was, a mi- it was an additional minus two penalty to your attacks, but you could flip a weapon between your hands. So I still always had a free hand to spell cast, but could still do wield. Oh, nice. You could have like one plus three weapon, but do both of your two weapon fighting with the same sword. Oh, so, nice. yeah, it was like an additional minus two to all of your attacks, but it meant that I always had a free Obviously that hand. didn't make it its way up. I know, I love it so much, but Which that was my, my very first Pathfinder character from the beta test. And we were playing through Rise of the Rune Lords combining the, some of the stuff from the beta test in 3.5 because I was going into the Bladesinger prestige class from the Forgotten Realms. Which so doesn't exi- I don't think they actually ported that it's over. It's the Magus. Basically, yeah, I mean, it's I guess the they, Magus. They ported it over into the Magus. So. But yeah. Sorry, I'm digging way back in there to try to remember. Like my very first 
tabletop character was a uh, halfling thief in AD&D that lasted one session before I was killed and eaten by a wormling red dragon. Then I made a paladin. But my first Pathfinder, that was it. My first Pathfinder character was a half-orc. She was a Shuanti half-orc fighter that eventually went into the duelist prestige class because they didn't have the swashbuckler back then. And God, was she amazing. Uh, except for any time we ran into anything that was uh, resistant to sneak attack or precision-based damage because that's what the duelist runs off of and therefore every incorporeal thing that we fought or the constant stream of other uh, uh, horrible options. Mm. Um, yes. My first Pathfinder character was a gnome rogue no, nope. Gnome a gnome <laughs> rogue named Finn who didn't have very much of a personality, actually, because it was my first character ever, and we played her for we played that game for like a handful of sessions. It was like the Pathfinder first step stuff. Yeah, yeah, we only played like maybe four sessions, five sessions. Yeah, that. my first. That was, that was the same character that took you guys through the uh, Midnight Mirror. Oh yeah, also. Midnight yeah. Mirror. Yeah. She, kept she, she did have a personality. She ran away from everything. She, did, she was scared <laughs> of everything. Yeah, that will save. And then my first character that I played in Adventure Path was a tiefling barbarian oracle. Battle oracle. And uh, Lexi of Fire. She was wonderful. Nice. Uh, let's see. First character for me was a half-elf bard um, because I was indecisive and couldn't figure out what I wanted to be good at. So Glamour I chose boots. to be good at everything Glamour and nothing boots. at once. Uh, yes, glamour boots. <laughs> uh, and then first Adventure Path character was a sylph sorcerer. Still my favorite character I've ever made. Uh, my first character ever was in the same game I did with uh, Jordan and Jess. I played a uh, halfling druid with a big old tiger that I got to ride around named Raja, because, of course. Um, <laughs> but my first uh, AP character was a fighter, because I love my fighters so much. And so I did a two-weapon fighter, and I dual-wielded scimitars. As a fun side note, we did actually talk about our first characters who will be playing for second edition on our post-mortem. Uh, I think it was post-mortem number three that we recently released also. Whichever one of the most so, recent ones is. Yeah. And I gotta say, spoiler alert, the thing about Jessica Peters is that she often makes three or four characters before we actually start the thing that we're going to be playing. And I definitely ended up not playing a gnome rogue. Uh, the funny part, yeah, the funny part about it is you changed your characters three times. I printed a mini for you, and you didn't like the mini, and that was the reason you changed your character the last time. No, the playtest for the Oracle came out, so I'm playing an Oracle. A gnome battle Oracle. Yep, so... Do you have anything else from Andy? Yes. So, another question from Andy. From the gameplay side of things, Rick, have the players missed it many secret rooms or passages and thus awesome treasure so far? Dozens. <gasps> Liar. I'm sure I we have. Sense motive. <laughs> I sense motive. I sense on motive. Rick. His bluff's too high. He's I hide G my face behind my score. pop screen. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. I think there was a couple of side things that the party missed while exploring the necropolis. A couple of places that they could have gone to that they didn't. Yeah, like, like we, the never, dance hall? we never. Like the dance hall. Well, the dance hall. We never did the Lamia that I believe were in there. Lamia no. stuff. Um, what was in that dance hall? Death. Awful death. Ooh. Death was in the dance hall. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's old, all uh, death. It's old Jared from uh, the Labyrinth dancing Jared. up a storm. Jared, yeah, dancing up a storm in there. Dance little David Bowie. Uh, Dance gotta love David Bowie. Uh, oh, another interesting uh, so not comment. Much. Yeah, another interesting comment Andy has here is uh, for the side missions tied into the character stories that you've created. You know, we split the parties side A, side B uh -huh. uh, type stuff. Do the doorkeepers get any XP for the challenges that they faced? Yes, they do. And this is a little bit of uh, how the sausage is made here, uh, which I know is a phrase that I think Heather I hate took it. an issue with. It, I don't like it. Don't use it anymore. No, it's a good <laughs> phrase. A little behind the screens here that I specifically designed it so that the encounter against the judge, Old Eye Taker, uh, and all of his goons and such actually matches up with the exact same challenge rating except for divided by three for Valeriana because I included Infalto into that fight so that you, the party got the exact same amount of experience. Uh, I did the exact the same thing with everything where any anytime I split the party, I make sure that they do have, if they have their own encounters, that the other group has an encounter of an equal difficulty so that the party's experience stays the same so I don't have to worry about people having two different experience tracks. Yeah, we don't track experience separately. We track it as a, as a party. It would, it would be a pain. I it know, is a pain. I know it can be kind of interesting to have different level characters traveling around in the same party and doing stuff, but yeah. it can also be a pain. Yeah, and that's all for Andy. He just signs off with thanks heaps. Yep. You're welcome. Thanks, Andy. You're welcome, Andy, and thank you for writing in. Uh, lastly, our final email comes from Niklas from Denmark. Hey, Niklas. Hey. 
Hello, finders of paths. <laughs> First, to not embarrass Rick, I will say that you have an adequate podcast. <laughs> Finally, some honesty in here. <laughs> We're adequate. Yep. We're like the vanilla of podcasts. Yes. Perfectly This is an offensive. <laughs> vanilla bean. Uh, yes. Uh, Too spicy. Second, second, I would like some advice on Pathfinder rules. If an action needs two skills, like using a lie as a threat, for example, a witch is attacked by a highwayman and she threatens him with a curse she ca she can't cast. Is it a bluff or intimidate check? Why not both? Yeah, actually that joking aside, you could do both if you wanted to. I've always considered intimidates to a lot of times be lies in addition to being an intimidate. It's kind of part of that, that if, if you're a chaotic good character that you're trying to rescue the princess, but then the guards show up and then you grab her and put your knife to her throat like you're threatening her, you're never really intending on stabbing her. So it can, intimidate can cover bluster, but yeah, I wouldn't see a reason that you couldn't do both. And potentially even say that if they your intimidation gets a bonus or a penalty, maybe plus two, minus two, whether or not they believe or disbelieve your lie. Yeah. Because they could just be so scared of you that they don't care if you're lying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah well, it might fair. be it's like, okay, sure, maybe this witch can't turn me into a frog, but they could still possibly hex me. So, well. yeah, I've always looked at it as like intimidate is how you say it and bluff is what you say. You can say things that maybe don't sound super great, but because they're delivered in an intimidating way, like you're using your intimidate versus like I'm just using good wordplay or something to bluff my way out of something. So that's kind of how I've always looked at it in my head. Yeah. Uh, in that specific case, I would probably still just roll with a an intimidation and just say that the bluff is kind of part of the intimidation for that. Really, as long as you're not, as long as someone's not trying to abuse it to get around having no ranks into bluff, not a big deal. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, because you could try to game it to the skill that you actually are good at. Yeah. He signs off with a PS. I'm sorry to inform you, but you pronounce Mads Mickelson wrong. <gasps> the D in Mads is silent. It's Maz, Maz Mickelson. Maz Mickelson. Oh, yes. Our boy. We've been doing it wrong. The I'm sorry, Nicholas, and I am sorry to Maz Mickelson. I know you're a big fan. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I apologize. Of course. Like, yeah. Also, if Maz Mickelson ever listened to our podcast, he's Nethis. Like, he's always listening. <laughs> he's crying on he us right now. Seeing God. <laughs> but yes, sorry, Maz Mickelson, and sorry the nation of Denmark because we don't know how to pronounce your names. Yep. Pronunciation so. is hard. You have a beautiful I, country, and I would love to go see it. I was going to say, I do yeah. have friends in Denmark, but I've never actually gotten to go. Sad. One of these days, we'll have to make a Find the Path Denmark trip. And? Oh, yeah. How do we get that sponsored? I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll put it on the company dime. <laughs> this Make episode brought to you by the Tourism Board of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> and Arkansas. If only, and, and Arkansas. And Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> this episode shot in the hot springs of Arkansas. Yep. Hey, That's, why we're, so That's why we're so warm. That's why we're so warm and so relaxed. Oh, yes. My skin has never been softer. That's I don't know. weird. I don't know. What creepy. Is, I don't know. Hot it's creepy and weird. I don't like it. It's it's just says creepy things. Anyway, <laughs> this is normally the part where we would cast a deity, but we're out of deities. Sure. So I suppose we're going to take a little bit of time off from that. Maybe we make some sort of internet poll. Mayhaps. Hmm. Mm. Or we listen to the loudest voice that screams into the void. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so if you have a void somewhere near you, scream down. Make sure to mention our names. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Go into the desert. Find the greatest void you can and scream into it. Mention your name and home address, and a box will mysteriously arrive before you get home. Cool. That's creepy. Is it Amazon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's really just a, the void. It's just a giant Alexa. Jeff Bezos <laughs> listens to the void. Jeff Bezos lives at the void in the bottom of the pit <laughs> in the middle of the desert. This is getting really, this he's getting really very, very nightmare, and it's amazing, and I love it. With that, and with that, I think we're going to have to call it, Pathfolk. Ah. Until next time, good luck, Pathfolk. I'm so uh, sad we're not casting. I know, it, it feels wrong. Dun dun dun. dun, 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 dun. What Pathfinder? Wait, I don't do that. <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.